Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Megan Carey Brown, and you'll recognize her on Instagram as at EMC underscore Brown with her vibrant smile and dedication to raising ostomy awareness. At 27 years old, Megan has lived 10 years with active disease, 13 years with indeterminate Crohn's colitis, and three years with an ostomy. But IBD can't stop her. In that same time, she's also gotten married, graduated college, lived in four different states, traveled abroad, adopted a zoo of fur babies, and most recently, landed her dream job as a patient coach. Thank you so much for joining me today, Megan, and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, that was such a great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It, it was easy because you've done so many wonderful things. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. Thank you. Well, so we know that every Crohn's and colitis story is a little bit different. So why don't you start by sharing your IBD journey, maybe when you had your first flare, the lead up to your diagnosis, and then eventually to your ostomy. Yeah, so I actually, um, around the age of 13, I started having really severe diarrhea and just wasn't really feeling myself. And at the time I was in eighth grade. Um, so my mom took me to the doctor, but I was completely dismissed. I was told, oh, you're just a nervous child, you know, try to de-stress and everything should be fine. Everything should go away. So leaving that appointment, I kind of felt defeated, but I was hearing this from a doctor, so it must be true, right? Mm -hmm. And had you ever heard about IBD or any uh, types of diseases of the colon? Had you heard about that or was anything in your family? No, no, not at that point. Like yeah. I said, I was I was in eighth grade and this like was not even on my radar. You know, I was... I was getting ready to start high school, worrying about, oh, the eighth grade dance, what am I going to wear? Mm -hmm. So thinking about like Crohn's, colitis, IBD, I had never even heard of anything like that. Um, so a few months later, my symptoms just worsened and worsened and worsened. And so I was experiencing really bad stomach pain. I was having blood in my stool. I was rapidly losing weight. And so finally... I saw a different doctor who actually referred me to a GI, and we had come up with the conclusion that I had Crohn's disease. Um, so at this point, I was 14 years old. I had just started my freshman year in high school, and I actually had to be homeschooled. I was so sick, I couldn't go to school, and I honestly just spent almost every single day in bed. And um, at that point, I was trying all the different biologics. I was trying oral medications. I was having to give myself 
uh, methotrexate shots at the age of 14. Wow. Um, I can't imagine um, yeah, doing so, that at, at 14. No. So yeah, it was, it was a big, uh, change in my life. And of course I was on prednisone and I had to deal with moon face and just adapting to that. And especially as like a 14 year old going through huge changes in your life, um, having to experience all the side effects of Crohn's plus prednisone, it was definitely a big deal. Wow. So, yeah. mm-hmm. So how long did that go on for while you kind of struggled with medications and through high school? Did anything seem to work or did it just continually get worse from there? So my struggle really went on for about a year, uh, August, right before I began my sophomore year of high school, I responded to Remicade. So I was going in for Remicade infusions. And at this time, uh, for children, the Remicade infusions that I was receiving took about eight hours. So I would go in like every two weeks and have to just sit there for eight hours um, to receive a Remicade infusion. But I think now they may have been able to speed it up a little bit faster. Um, so I was doing my eight hour Remicade infusions, but I finally responded And so I was able to go back to school my sophomore year and I finished out high school. My parents at the time, uh, they were really not keen on having me take all of these really harsh medications because as a teenager, you hear, oh, Remicade, and that you're told, oh, this is a cancer drug, which is really scary. Um, Even if it's not being used to treat cancer, you're still taking what's known as a cancer drug. And so I remember I had to sign a waiver before I started taking that medication saying, oh, if anything happens to me or like worst case scenario, if I died from taking this, my family would not sue the hospital. And that was just Mm -hmm. such an eye opener as a 14 year old. So um, anyways, because of this, my parents really didn't want me taking these medications. I was responding well. I had finally gotten into remission. And so I actually went to a homeopathic doctor who was able to treat me and put me on a ton of different supplements. I took fish oil and coconut oil, iron pills, probiotics. And so um, after being stabilized from the Remicade and taking all these different supplements, I essentially went medication free. I went off the Remicade and I just stayed on supplements through high school. Wow. Did you change your diet at that time or just supplements? Um, I did change my diet. I think that's a big thing with IBD. A lot of people respond differently to different foods. I know foods that would really trigger me were fried foods and foods with rough textures like nuts and popcorn. Um, I could not eat shellfish, which was horrible because I love shellfish. (laughs) And so even though it was really hard at the time modifying a diet, it helped so much. And so then what happened? You were medication free for a little bit. Did that work for a while? Yeah, it worked. um, I would say probably through my junior year of college. I think I went about like five years medication free. um, But my junior year, 
I guess, with stress of school. And I had actually just gotten into a relationship with my my husband. Mm-hmm. We had just met. And so there were so many things going on. I just fell right back into all the symptoms of IBD and Crohn's. Um, and so at that point, it was back to square one. I was going back trying the different biologics. I had tried Remicade, but unfortunately it didn't work my second time around because I had formed antibodies to it. So mm-hmm. after the Remicade, I tried Intivio, which I did respond to, thankfully. And I had also tried Humira, um, which also had failed for me. But Intivio, I don't know what it was, but it had seemed to do the trick. And so I was on Intivio for a few years and then fast forward to 2016, right after my husband and I got married, I found out that I had high grade dysplasia in my colon and I had absolutely no idea what that meant. And Mm -hmm. so I was at home by myself and my doctor called me and explained, well, high grade dysplasia, that means that your colon is precancerous. And if we don't do something, you're more than likely going to have colon cancer. So the word cancer, yeah, the word cancer was just completely terrifying. And of course, I was 24 at the time. And, you know, thinking I'm invincible, we had just gotten Mm -hmm. married. Yes, I had IBD. But, you know, I had just lived with pain for so long, it had become my norm. But now hearing the word cancer, it's just completely changed the game. How were your symptoms at that point, too? Was everything being controlled by the intivio, or were you still having quite a few symptoms when they discovered the dysplasia? So my symptoms at that point, I was not really having the blood in my stool. I was having um, stomach pain, and I was having a lot of diarrhea, and of course, going to the bathroom numerous times a day, but I had actually been gluten-free at that point. And I thought I was doing really well. And, you know, going gluten-free, I definitely had noticed a change and it did really help me. And so hearing the cancer diagnosis, I was just totally shocked because I can remember you know, having much worse symptoms and just feeling horrible and not Mm -hmm. even being able to get out of bed. But here I was at least able to function with, with my symptoms. So hearing cancer, I was just totally shocked. And I honestly felt helpless. I really had Mm -hmm. no idea what to do. And so um, at that point, my, I was really given a couple options. I was told, well, you know, we could remove part of your colon where we found the cancerous tissue, but you'll have to come in every three or so months for routine cancer checks, which would involve Mm. a colonoscopy. So I basically would just, yeah, I basically was going to have to be heavily monitored for who knows how many years. Or the other option was to completely remove my colon and remove my rectum and have a permanent ileostomy. And so and you were how old at this point? I was 24, 24. 25. Yeah, 24. And so obviously at that point, an ostomy was just not an option because I just <laughs> felt like, no, I'm, I'm so young. I'm 24 years old. I don't want this 
horrible thing, you know, to be a part of my life forever. And truthfully, I didn't even know what an ostomy was when I was told this. And so, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think anyone who hears, oh, you need an ostomy, I think their immediate thought is probably, no way, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. But after a little bit of time and a ton of research, um, I decided to go for the ostomy. And looking back on it, I'm so happy that I did because it has completely changed my life for the better. Tell me a little bit about how it has changed. So your post-surgery, it's been three years now, is that correct? Maybe four years since the ostomy surgery. So Mm -hmm. what's it like now? Do you still have to watch what you eat? Um, What are the differences that you found So I do still have to watch what I eat. Um, I think the biggest thing with an ostomy is you really have to make sure you chew your food well because it's so easy to get a blockage. And Mm. um, blockages can also be really scary because it gets to a point of, oh gosh, do I go to the the ER? Can I work this out at home? What do I do? Um, But I do still have to watch what I eat. Uh, It definitely is a little bit more lenient. Like before my ostomy, I couldn't eat lettuce, which was horrible because mm-hmm. I love salad. And so <laughs> the lettuce texture just would not sit well with my stomach. But now with an ostomy, I can have that. And I can have popcorn just within moderation. So mm-hmm. it's really more lenient. It's just kind of more within moderation. Um, but as- aside from that, symptom-wise, my symptoms have just like improved drastically. Mm-hmm. I do still uh, have a lot of fatigue. I do get tired pretty easily, but I'm not having the blood in my stool. And the benefit of an ostomy is you're not stuck on the toilet all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, my, my symptoms, I mean, it's just improved in so many ways. And now I truly feel like I can get up and go outside and do something. I'm not stuck on the couch feeling miserable all day. You know, Mm -hmm. you have so much more freedom being able to do so many different things. And do you still take medications even with the ostomy to help manage some of those minor symptoms? Um, I actually am medication free right now. So I am. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. Um, After I received my ostomy, I was on Intivio for a while just to make sure everything kind of transitioned smoothly and to keep my symptoms at bay. Uh, But I'm actually medication free now. And there's been a huge debate. I'm kind of this like medical wonder because mm-hmm. my doctors are wondering now if I could have actually had ulcerative colitis instead of Crohn's because as soon as I received my ostomy, a lot of my symptoms virtually disappeared. And so there's wow. a debate now with my doctors if I had UC and I could technically almost be cured or if I have Crohn's and I'm just in remission. So that's where my diagnosis of indeterminate Crohn's colitis comes in. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Yes, it's really interesting, but I'm enjoying being medication-free. And so I'm hoping I can stay this way for as long as possible. 
Yeah, thank you. So talk to me a little bit about your mindset because you are a very positive person and you have a great outlook. Everything you post is, is just positive and wonderful, but you've obviously had a lot of setbacks. And so you, you know, you talked about a minute ago going back to square one and getting back on medication and, and then the ostomy and dealing with that. How did you process all of the ups and downs with Crohn's and colitis? Um, yeah, so I think my biggest thing, at least with Crohn's and colitis, I was diagnosed as a child. And so as bad as it sounds, it honestly just became my normal. I grew so used to not feeling well. And I must felt jaded because I almost felt like, gosh, does everyone feel like this? Because it just felt so mm -hmm. normal. It was my everyday routine. And so I've always kind of just been like an excited person and celebrate the little things. So I think having Crohn's or indeterminate Crohn's colitis, <laughs> I just felt like that was a normal feeling that people went through. And so I didn't really let it affect me. I mean, there have definitely been times where I've been so frustrated and just wanted to cry, especially when I found out I needed an ostomy. And I think the biggest feat I had to conquer was accepting my ostomy, which sounds crazy. And if anyone follows me, you probably think, how in the world? Because you act like you love your ostomy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, it wasn't always like that. I was completely against an ostomy. And I thought that having an ostomy would totally just ruin my quality of life. And I didn't understand how living with this bag of poop on your stomach was mm -hmm. supposed to improve things. And so um, I was just so against it. But after researching, I think what helped me the most was reading blogs. I found so many blogs about mm -hmm. other women around my age who had ostomies and they were just owning it and they were still living life and doing their best. And it wasn't stopping them. And I, I saw how well and how good these people felt. And so I think it kind of dawned on me one day, we were driving home from the hospital and I just realized I needed to do this. I needed to get an ostomy because I also felt like it couldn't get worse. You know, I was mm -hmm. in such a bad state. I felt like things can't get worse. If I got an ostomy, I don't think it could be any worse than it is now. So why not try, which almost sounds crazy. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so just reading the blogs um, and doing so much research really helped me. And at this time, I didn't have my Instagram. I started my Instagram after my surgery. So I didn't know anyone with an ostomy. I didn't have anyone to connect to or ask questions, which would have been so beneficial. But mm -hmm. um, just, just seeing other people thriving with their ostomies, that's what I wanted. I wanted to thrive and I wanted to feel good. And so that helped me make the decision. And based off of that, I had just decided one day, I'm going to get an ostomy and I'm going to be proud and I'm going to stay positive mm -hmm. about it because, you know, I just was so tired of just feeling bad mentally and physically. So I just mm -hmm. decided to stay positive and 
this is where it's gotten me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're serving as an incredible role model. So I commend you and thank you for sharing your story and being that because I know it, just as you said, you search so many blogs and reading other people's stories. It really does make a difference. And I think that's what I love the most about social media these days is it really does connect us and let us learn from each other and bring those experiences closer to us. Mm -hmm. So now that you've gone through this whole experience, you've had the surgery, looking back in hindsight, is there something that you wish you would have known before the surgery or something that you wish people would have told you that would have made something easier? And then tell me a little bit about the recovery process after that. I think I definitely wish that I would have known someone who has gone through it. Um, like I said, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know any young people. I didn't know any older people with ostomies. I didn't know anyone. And I had mm -hmm. absolutely no idea what to expect. I was just going off of what the doctors were telling me. And so looking back on it, I definitely wish that I had been able to connect with someone before my surgery to ask the important questions and to just to ask for the support that I needed because, I mean, I had my parents and I had my husband, but they weren't going through it. You know, you can get mm -hmm. so much support from family and from friends, but I think being able to actually talk to someone who's gone through it, it just is so eye-opening and offers so much more valuable information. And so I really wish that I had had that before my surgery. Um, mm -hmm. But my recovery process, I think for me, the most difficult part of recovery was having my rectum removed because I could not sit for two weeks, which Aww. was horrible. I had to lay <laughs> down. And so, and you know, it's like, oh, laying down. Yeah, I get to stay in bed for two weeks, but it was really bad. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I, I could only lay down and I actually had sutures. And um, what proved to be a big issue for me was moisture getting into my sutures, which ultimately mm. caused basically a baby rash. And so mm -hmm. it was horrible. And just keeping that area dry was the most difficult thing. But as far as the ostomy recovery, um, there was pain. I did have a lot of pain, but really I think the first week at home um, was the most difficult because you don't have your ostomy nurse. You know, I had my family and they did such a great job, but it, you know, having an ostomy nurse who's trained and knows how it works. Because like I said, I had no idea about ostomies. I didn't know mm -hmm. how to take care of my ostomy. I didn't know. I knew how to empty it. That was about it. Um, but my, my family was the same way because we had never been through anything like this. And so mm -hmm. the first week at home was the hardest. And of course, I had bag leaks, which was just completely demoralizing. And mm -hmm. I remember waking up, I was in such a deep sleep because I was on pain medications and I woke up early in the morning and I was just laying in my bed full of output, otherwise known as poop, Aww. because yeah. <laughs> my bag had leaked and I didn't know. And so the, 
the first week by far is just a huge learning curve. Um, but recovery, definitely utilize your nurses. If you have a phone number, call them as much as you need to or as much as you want. Now, how much did the nurses prepare you before you went home? Do you feel like there was still a lot more that they could have taught you or something you more that they would have said <laughs> to help so, ease that learning curve? My surgery was was unique because it was pushed up really soon. So I was actually supposed to have surgery at the end of September and I think it was like August 29th and I got a phone call from the hospital that my surgery had been pushed up to September 1st. And so mm. at that point, that that's really when I had literally just decided I was going to have an ostomy. And so I really didn't have much time to prepare. And really the most prep I received from the nurses, and I don't think it was the nurses. I think it's just because I was on such a short time schedule from my surgery being pushed up. Um, the day before my surgery, I went in and I had the ostomy nurse mark my stomach for where my stoma would be located. And I got to pick um, where I wanted it, which was nice. And hmm. they told me to go home, put on an ostomy bag, fill it with applesauce and like go run errands or go to town or something. And the, mm -hmm. the craziest thing was prior to this appointment, I had never even seen an ostomy bag and I didn't, I had never even touched one or held one. I, I had never dealt with an ostomy bag. So this all happened the day before my surgery. Oh, so, wow. Just a yes, whirlwind. Yes. And so as soon as I got home, I put applesauce in my bag and we all went to Target and I got one of the husband pillows because I thought, oh my gosh, if I'm going to be stuck in bed for two weeks, I need this. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I just wore it. I wore my, my bag with applesauce all around the store. And of course, I felt like, oh my gosh, everyone's staring at me. These people, like they can see something on my stomach, which looking back mm -hmm. on, no one had any idea. But I mean, you, you just feel self-conscious your first time going out, whether it, it's permanent ostomy or an ostomy with applesauce in it. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that was my biggest tip that I had received from the nurses. And a lot of my ostomy training, I actually received after I had my ostomy. Um, when I was mm -hmm. in the hospital, my nurse came in and she cleaned my ostomy and showed me how to clean it and change my bag. And of course, gave me different samples of bags to take home. But that was honestly the extent of it. Wow. Mm -hmm. Very much a whirlwind. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Doing the applesauce thing, was that just to give you an idea of where, since you said you got to pick the placement, was that kind of a, to give you an idea of how it would feel and maybe where it might be comfortable for you? Yeah, the applesauce, definitely. It was, um, you know, so my ostomy, it's located on the right side of my abdomen. And I was given the choice to have it like high or low. Um, and so I kind of got to play around with where I wanted the bag. Um, but 
putting the applesauce in it and going to town was such a great idea because you really don't know what to expect when mm-hmm. being told you're going to have an ostomy. I mean, it's one thing to be told that and it's one thing to actually have one and live with it every day. And so being able to fill it with applesauce and go to Target, it did help. It helped me so much because I was able to learn, okay, this is what it feels like, you know, Um, this is what it's going to be like when I'm going to town. This is what it's going to be like if I have to empty my bag in a public restroom or something like that. So Mm -hmm. I would definitely recommend that to anyone who is considering an ostomy because it does give you a better sense of what's to come. That is a great tip. I do. I do like that tip. So you've been through quite a bit. What would you say has been your biggest challenge that you've faced since being diagnosed um, after all these years? And how did you get through that challenge? Um, I definitely think my biggest challenge has been my ostomy. But mm-hmm. I feel like I've talked about my ostomy so much. So another <laughs> cha- another challenge that Your I Your second had- biggest challenge. <laughs> yes, right? So um, I guess my second biggest challenge, and I think this is something that a lot of people deal with, but it might not be acknowledged is just having other people understand. I think like with IBD, you know, it's an invisible illness and you can be feeling your worst, but looking your best and people won't understand that. And I've dealt with this so many times in so many different situations. And it's frustrating when people are just like, you know, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get up? Like, why are you canceling plans? Um, But I think that it really makes you realize, you know, who's important in your life and who your true friends Mm -hmm. are. And um, yeah, I've definitely dealt with that by evaluating, you know, like I said, who my true friends are and who's really there to support me. and, And the best advice I can give is to just, surround yourself with people who want the best for you and people who care about you because those are the people who are going to understand and they're the people who want to understand. Yeah, I think that's a key thing, how you phrased it, that they want to understand. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, a huge difference. And and the people who are close to us and care about us really do care and want to understand. So. Very, very important. Yes. Very well said. Thank you. So you mentioned earlier that stress was probably one of the main factors in your disease coming back after you'd been doing so well for a while while you were mm-hmm. in college and then getting ready for your wedding and a very hectic time. Are there things that you've learned over the years that helps you to manage that stress? Because stress really is a, a major trigger for a lot of people with IBD. And so what have you learned to kind of help manage that over the years? Yeah. So my biggest issue uh, was that I always worried over the little things. And I, I had always just kind of been high strung. And, you know, if I was doing something and if something that was completely out of my control changed, I would just worry and get upset. And I've definitely 
had to kind of step back a little bit and and look at that. And I've realized, you know, wow, that causes so much stress in my life. Maybe I just need to go with the flow a little bit more and stop stressing over the little things. And so um, eliminating that from my life has helped mm-hmm. significantly. Um, I, it has not been easy, honestly, but and I'm still working on it today. But just knowing that, you mm-hmm. know, it's not always going to be perfect. Life happens. This is this is reality. Um, definitely helps. But yeah, it's eliminating stress is really hard. And I think that, <laughs> you know, when doctors say, oh, just, you know, get rid of your stress. Well, that's easier said than done. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think for me, just like I said, not not worrying over the little things, kind of taking a step back and just breathing. Um, but also taking time to focus on myself because a, a lot of times I'll run myself thin and I've been accused of being a people pleaser. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, not wanting to disappoint anyone, but it's so important to take care of yourself, whether it's, you know, having an at-home spa day or just doing something for you, for your mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think just taking care of me and doing things for me has been a huge deal because I'm finally learning that, you know, I can't help you and take care of you if I don't first take care of myself. Yeah. So great advice. What's your favorite way? Do you have a a top way that you like to de-stress when you say, all right, I need to step back and take care of myself? Do you have a go-to activity that you like to to use to do that? Oh my gosh. Um, I'd probably say that at home spa days or shopping, but shopping can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> at home spa days, I mean, just, just taking a minute to, you know, read a book and take a bath or paint your nails or do a facial or something, mm-hmm. which probably sounds more appealing to women. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, that there might be some men that are interested in that. (laughs) That's true. But that has, um, I mean, that's definitely been my go-to. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, let's dive in a little deeper into your role as an advocate and a patient coach. So first, tell me a little bit about what compelled you to start sharing your story. You mentioned that you started your Instagram after the surgery. So what really compelled you to start being an advocate and what has the experience been like for you? Well, my experience has been absolutely amazing. Um, I'm so thankful for the ostomy community and the IBD community. Uh, The social media, it's just been incredible. And what's really compelled me uh, after my surgery you know, I, I wasn't in a dark place, but I was just kind of in limbo. I felt like, you know, I was, I had this bag and I didn't really know anyone else with one. And I just kind of felt alone and I didn't really know what, you know, what to expect in the future. And Mm -hmm. so, um, I started my account about a year after my surgery because I had finally gotten to the point where I was getting comfortable with my bag. I was comfortable, you know, going in public and didn't feel like I had all eyes on me all the time. And I could, you know, use public restrooms. And, and it was just 
a much better place and a much better experience for me. And so I remember, you know, before my surgery, how helpful these blogs were and how seeing these women with ostomy bags living their lives just helped me so much. And so I just decided one day, you know, that helped me so much. I really want to give that to someone else who needs it or to someone else who could find this helpful. And so it was really difficult at first because, you know, Mm -hmm. my family had seen my bag, my husband had seen my bag, but I had never shown it to the public and it almost felt like taboo. And so Mm -hmm. um, my first couple posts, it was just like, me, this is me. You know, people didn't really realize mm-hmm. I had an ostomy bag. You couldn't see it. And then one day I just decided I'm going to post my bag because this is, you know, the real me. This is who I am. And seeing other women with bags helped me so much. You know, if this picture of me showing my bag helps someone, that's all I want. And so I p- finally posted a picture and it it just like, felt like my heart dropped and I thought, oh my gosh, what mm-hmm. have I done? You know, I I just put myself <laughs> totally out there and I've just been so vulnerable. Oh, you know, what's going to happen? And I got so much positive feedback, which I totally was mm-hmm. not expecting. I mean, I had people because it's Instagram, you know, it's worldwide. I had people all over the world mm-hmm. commenting and and encouraging me and supporting me and just so happy to see me putting myself out there. Um, And so I think having that confidence booster, it just like fueled the Mm -hmm. fire and it made me feel like, wow, you know, people need this. People want this. People want to see this. And so I just Mm -hmm. dove even further and further and further. And I just never turned back. It's been such a blessing. Um, Not only for, I guess, people who follow me, but for me, because Mm -hmm. it's truly allowed me to heal. You know, I get comments all the time and people will message me and I help them, but I don't think they realize that me helping them is also helping me. You know, anytime they're asking me questions, it's helping me heal and helping me cope and accept my life. That's so awesome. It just, you can't see it because we're talking on audio, but I'm just, I'm smiling because I, I can hear your passion and just the significance of all of it. And it's so exciting. And I just, yeah, I love it. Thank you. Has, has being an advocate, do you think, has it shaped your view of Crohn's and colitis just being able to share your story and meet with other people and hear feedback from other people? Has it shaped how you view IBD? Yeah, it definitely has. I think IBD, you know, like I've said, I was diagnosed as a child and I felt so alone. I didn't know anyone with IBD. And, you know, it was almost like this weird thing. Ooh, why is she going to the bathroom so much? And I remember in high school, my parents had to get a special, uh, I guess, a special accommodation for me to be able to excuse myself to use the bathroom whenever I needed because I went so frequently. But other, Mm -hmm. other kids my age didn't understand that. And so 
being an advocate and being able to connect with so many other people, people of all ages too. I mean, I'll have people reach out to me who have children and then I have, you know, people my age, middle-aged people, older people, anyone, I mean, anyone um, Mm -hmm. can reach out to me. And so it's definitely shaped my view because it's just made me realize, gosh, there are so many people out here dealing with this and you wouldn't, you'd never know because it's an invisible illness, you know? You would never know that so many people are dealing with this. And it just makes me realize, gosh, you know, you're really not alone. There are so many ways to connect with people. You just have to reach out and connect. And I definitely wish that I had known that and had done that when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And it's so amazing. It, it just continues to amaze me every time I see it, just how awesome the IBD community is. There's so many people that that are out there that want to connect, that want to share. And I absolutely love it. It amazes me all the time. So Yes, definitely. So tell me a little bit more about this patient coaching that you're doing, because you just barely announced earlier this year that you landed your dream job as a patient coach. So tell me more about what that is, how you found the opportunity, and what it is that you're doing now. Yes. So um, patient coaching, gosh, I feel like dream job is an understatement, but I don't know what would be the appropriate word. Um, It has just been absolutely amazing. And so I actually uh, landed my job through my social media, which to me is absolutely crazy thinking, wow, my social media got me a job. But yeah, it's definitely a new world. (laughs) Yes. Oh, gosh, definitely. Um, But so patient coaches is through a company called 11 Health. And what 11 Health does is they create smart ostomy bags. Um, So it's actually it's really neat. And I wish I had had this when I was a new ostomy. Basically, um, they have ostomy bags that can measure your output. Because when you have an ostomy, Mm -hmm. when you first get home, it sounds horrible, but you basically are given a giant jug. And every time you use the bathroom, you have to put your output in the jug. You basically just have to pour it in and measure it because your nurses and your doctors want to know and make sure, okay, they're, you know, they're producing enough or, oh, they're not producing enough you know, something's going on. So the um, smart bags uh, can actually measure your output and they can also measure the temperature of your skin around your stoma to make sure that there's no infection occurring um, and just to make sure everything is okay in the way that it should be. But, But the coolest thing is that all of this data it's measuring can be sent to your doctor. So your doctor could be like at home or on vacation and they can just pull up on their computer and see all your data and make sure that, you know, everything is okay. Um, But the patient coaches side of that, so uh, 11 Health has actually hired um, Ostimates and uh, we also have a few patients who have J pouches. 
um, or patient coaches who have J pouches, excuse me, but they've actually hired a number of Ostomates to serve as coaches to anyone with an ostomy or anyone about to have an ostomy. And so, as I was saying earlier, you know, when I had my surgery, oh my gosh, I wish so badly that I had had someone to ask all these questions and I wish that I had had the support. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly what a patient coach does. So patient coaches are matched with patients and we are your listening ear. We're here to help support you mentally. We're here to help support you physically, answer questions, and honestly, just be your friend. You know, we just want to establish that relationship with you because we've been there, we've been through it, and we understand how important it is to have that person to talk to and to connect with. And it just makes recovery and surgery go so much easier. What an awesome resource. Yeah. Now, if some if someone is listening to this and wondering if either they know they're going to be getting an ostomy or d years down the road it happens, how would someone know how to get in contact with a patient coach? Does it come from the patient coaching end, the 11 Health, or do patients have the opportunity to kind of reach out to 11 Health and, and say, I need a coach? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, there are so many different ways that you can reach out to get a coach. Um, you can reach out to me on my Instagram and I can direct you to the patient coaches page or you could reach out to any patient coach. Um, you can also reach out to the patient coaches Instagram, Facebook and Twitter or you could also go on to the 11 Health website. Um, just Google 11 mm -hmm. Health and it'll pop up and uh, you can find the patient coaches section there and request a patient coach. But two, you know, the patient coach program, it's so awesome because it doesn't matter if you have had your ostomy for 20 years or if you are getting your ostomy in a week. You know, we will support anyone and we want to support everyone. Um just because that support is so necessary. And too, like I said, we've had a number of patient coaches who actually have J pouches now. And so maybe you have a J pouch, but you need that support. We are so happy to support J pouches as well. That's awesome. I'll find the web I'll find the website for Eleven Health and I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Tell me a little bit more about the smart bag because I'm very intrigued. Is this uh, kind of, is it the first of its kind? How long has the smart bag been around and are people able to ask for it and get a smart bag? Would that be beneficial to other patients out there? Yeah. So the smart bag is the first of its kind. Um, and actually, Eleven Health is the first company in the United States to establish a patient coach program, which oh, is wow. totally ingenious. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but the smart bag, uh, it has it's the first of its kind, and it's definitely evolved. It first started out almost as like a strip that you would put mm -hmm. on your bag that would measure um, data, but now it is um, it's an ostomy bag. And at the top, there's a little pocket where you insert 
uh, what's called a hub. And the hub is like the size of a compact mirror. It's pretty small. Mm -hmm. um, and the hub is what helps to compute the data. And the, the bag is also lined with sensors. And so the hub computes data. And that's what records and sends the information. Um, and the bag is also paired with an app. We have an app for smartphones. Uh, and all the data can be sent straight to your app. Um, the app also is really handy because you can do things like track your hydration. And, you know, if you're out in town driving in the car and that moment hits where, okay, I need to use the bathroom right now. There's mm -hmm. also a bathroom locator, which is really neat. Um, Very cool. So, yeah, yeah, it's really awesome. And as far as patients wearing the bag, uh, patients can wear the bag when you when you are assigned a patient coach. You know, you can express how you would be interested in wearing a bag and trying it out. Um, but you also don't have to wear a bag to be supported by a patient coach. So mm -hmm. it's nice because you have that option. Very neat. What a whole, mm -hmm. it's just amazing what the technology has done and where this, this whole space has, has come because I, I talked to so many people who've been diagnosed, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, and none of this, you know, could have even have been imagined at that time. So just amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, and even now they're, they're, continuing to work on the bag to make it even better and Im improve it even more and more. So it'll be really exciting to see uh, what they roll out with next. Yeah. <laughs> Version two. <laughs> yeah. So is there one thing that you wish people knew about Crohn's and colitis, but they don't? The one thing that I wish people knew, and I talked about this earlier, is the invisible illness aspect. Mm -hmm. um, and I just feel like I can't stress that enough, I think, because I've dealt with that so much in my life. And I think that's something that so many other people deal with. But, you know, it's not necessarily addressed as much as it should be. Um, it's definitely addressed in our community. But for the average person who may not have a chronic illness, you know, they just don't really understand. But yeah, I really wish people better understood what an invisible illness is. And, you know, just because we may have to cancel plans more often than other people, it doesn't mean that we don't want to be a part of your life and that, you know, you aren't an important person to us. It just means that we realize we have to take care of ourselves. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's really hard because when you're dealing with a chronic illness or Crohn's and colitis, you know, before my ostomy, I felt like I missed out on so much. You know, I was literally just sitting there watching my life go by, but I had done this for so long, I thought that was normal. And I had grown so used to it. It had just become my norm. Um, so... Yeah, the, the whole invisible illness aspect is so important. And I just hope that everyone continues to talk mm -hmm. about it because it's, I mean, it's a true thing. And so many people are dealing with it constantly and it really just needs to be addressed. It does. We definitely have a lot more awareness work that needs to be done. <laughs> yes, yes. 
So if people want to follow you, you're definitely on Instagram, but share your Instagram and where else online that people can either follow you and keep up with your journey or just reach out and contact you. Uh, so I'm on Instagram and I, I also have my email linked to my Instagram. So um, sometimes Instagram gets chaotic. So if you ever really, really need to reach out to me, mm -hmm. you're more than welcome to contact me through my email. Uh, I actually don't have a Twitter. I've kind of been contemplating getting one, but I'm not really a tech person and Twitter kind mm -hmm. of confuses me. <laughs> but I... I am on Facebook. Um, I don't really, I don't necessarily advocate a lot on Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. I've had my Facebook since I was like 13. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, I don't, I, I really started my Instagram for advocating. So truthfully, Instagram would be the best way or my email that's linked to my Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, or you can also, uh, reach me and contact me through the patient coaches uh, Instagram or through the 11 health website. Perfect. I'll put all those links in the show notes so that people have easy access to them. Yeah, that would be great. Well, is there anything that I did not ask you today that you wanted to share with the audience? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> we um, covered a lot. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've just spilled my whole life story. <laughs> um, no, I think the only, I mean, the biggest thing that I just really want to emphasize is for people to connect with other people because, you know, when I was first diagnosed, I didn't connect with anyone. And I don't think that was my fault. I just didn't know. I didn't really have that option to connect because back then we didn't have Instagram and mm -hmm. Facebook was like the big cool thing. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we've got so many different ways to connect with people now and, you know, not even just social media, connecting through social media, but there are a number of organizations out there for people dealing with Crohn's and colitis. Um, I know there's the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. They have great resources. And um, Girls with Guts is a really great resource as well for people who may be struggling or just people mm -hmm. who aren't struggling and just want to be in contact with someone and establish a friendship. Um, to definitely reach out to patient coaches because that is literally our job to mm -hmm. talk to you. And, and, you know, all the coaches are so fantastic and we're all unique in our own way, but we also share that special bond of IBD or an ostomy or, you know, we've all had some type of similar experience. Um, and we genuinely want to talk with people and work with them. Um, and give them that support because a lot of us didn't have the support. And so mm -hmm. we've been there, we've done that. And now we're here to offer that to you. Um, so like I said, the biggest thing I can think of is just connect with other people because mentally it's going to make, you know, living with a chronic illness or dealing with an ostomy bag or contemplating a reversal surgery so much easier. Um, 
Crohn's and colitis, you know, they, they take such a mental toll. I think there's a mm-hmm. mental toll that isn't necessarily acknowledged because you have physical symptoms, but mentally it can really take a toll on a person. And so mm-hmm. being able to talk with someone and form a friendship with a person who may be going through a similar experience can really help heal you. It's great advice. I think de- people people definitely need to connect. And I think almost almost in hindsight, you don't realize how much connecting with other people really does for you until you've mm-hmm. actually started connecting with people and you realize what a big difference it does make. Yes, I definitely agree with that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey today, Megan, and just coming on and talking about everything and helping to raise more awareness for Crohn's and colitis. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. And um, I'm so happy to continue to spread awareness and, you know, anyone, please feel free to reach out to me anytime with any questions that you may have. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Food, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.